0: Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma crew. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. Today I have Barbara Jean Liguori on the show. She was born November 17th, 1971 in the Baby Scoop era and adopted at four months old on March 25th, 1972. She currently lives in Brantford, Connecticut, but was raised in the New Haven area most of her life. She has been married for 27 years and is a mother of two biological sons and a stepmother of one daughter who has lived with Barbara since she was three years old. She has been in reunion with her biological mom and dad since she was 18, and she has one full biological brother. Barbara has been the owner of Salon Massimo for the past 25 years and currently works there as a hairstylist along with her husband. She is currently writing a book on her life as an adoptee that should be published in the very near future. Her hopes are to share her story with other adoptees and hopefully bring some awareness and education to adoptive parents looking to adopt. She also has a strong compassion for birth mothers as she feels they have gone through tremendous trauma as well which is most often overlooked or misunderstood. Here is my interview with Barbara Jean. We are welcoming
1: Barbara Jean to the show today. Hi, Barbara Jean. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm great. So you're an adoptee and I just want to jump right in and kind of get to know your story a little bit. So why were you put up for adoption?
2: Well, my birth mother, she was 15 when she got pregnant, 16 when she had me. Hmm. I was the baby scoop error in 1971
0: Mm
2: -hmm. and she didn't feel that she could properly, you know, raise me at 15 years old. Her mom, she was the oldest of 10 children. Wow. Yes. And her mother was pregnant at the same time with the youngest. So she was probably taking care of kids. Yes. Siblings as well. Oh my gosh. Yes. So my biological grandmother was pregnant with my, my aunt is three months older than me. Wow. So she, my birth mom didn't feel that she can put another baby on Her mother at the time although her mother was very supportive i have Mm. to say wow which back then you know was a no-no being not married at the time yeah my birth father was her high school sweetheart he was 17 when i was born yeah he was 17 and his parents were not so um they were very strict italian and he actually in the senior year of high school when i was born they moved out of state three weeks after he found out she was pregnant. Wow. So in his senior year of high school, he left all his friends to go move, like, up north and to New Hampshire, I believe, we're from Connecticut, with this burden. He, he didn't tell them yet. Oh, gosh. And he used to sneak on the weekends and, like, steal his father's car to go see her and visit her on the weekends. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, and they are married today. Oh, wow. Yes. So 11 years later, I believe they got married. Dang.
1: So how does that feel? I mean, you probably have then full on
2: siblings. I have one. Yes. I have one brother who's, I'm 51 now. He's 36. Okay. I met my birth parents when I was 18. He was what, three, four at the time, my brother. Oh, wow. So I live in Connecticut. They moved to Florida. They, they live in Florida. Her family lives here probably 20 minutes from me. Mm. So really like my whole life, they lived here while her yeah. siblings, I have tons of aunts and uncles and all that. It was, I think when I was 18, I didn't know, how do I say it? I had no idea what I was in for. I was still in the fog big time. Oh yeah. Big time. So I think at that time in my life, I just kind of wanted to know what I look like, you know, things like that. And then I was like, okay with it. You know, I was like, okay. When I first met them, I didn't realize I was going to be meeting him. I didn't realize I was going to have a brother. I didn't realize I was going to have, like, all these aunts and uncles. So because she was the oldest, half of them knew about me and half of them didn't. Uh Uh-huh. Because the older ones knew because she went to the Home for Unwed Mothers at St. Agnes. Okay. And then the younger ones didn't. They thought she was away because she had mono Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really, you know, understand. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you were 18 when you met your... Biological parents, and how did that even happen? Were you searching or?
2: I I do things like this. Something pops in my head, and I get these ideas, and I just do it. Yeah. I do that still to this day. Yeah. (laughs) So I just had this idea that I was just going to, you know, see if they knew who she was. And my adopted mother always was very honest with whatever I I wanted, or as far as she knew, you mm -hmm. know, she didn't want, she just knew Mm -hmm. her age medical history there was none things like that so yeah she didn't know too much so anyway I called kids catholic family services at the time which is now catholic charities yeah Mm -hmm. and they said well you know it could we don't know we'll see if it's if she left an address and you know they pretty much didn't want me to get my expectations up Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so I didn't think too much about it but within not even a week they called me back and said she left her records open for you we called the number, we found her. And not only did we find her, we found your father too. And that's when oh, I found out wow. that they were married. Oh, wow. So you just had like a wild hair to like I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and within like a couple, we sent letters and pictures. It happened really fast. Yeah. And within just a couple months, they flew down because they were visiting her family for the holidays and we met in person. And how did that go? It was very superficial in the really? beginning. I have a very complex, I would say story kind of, it was not superficial. It was, I felt like I was just excited, but I didn't feel like I had a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't cry. I remember they walked into the room of Catholic family services. They brought me flowers. I brought my adoptive mother with me just in case I got uncomfortable, but it was kind of like, how are you? Where'd you, how'd you grow up? It was very surface, very surface. Went out for pizza, And they were staying that week, but it wasn't anything like, like it wasn't emotional. I don't feel, but that was on my part. On your part. Yeah.
1: I was. So Maybe they were feeling you out and seeing how you were going to react and they kind of were
2: playing off that. Yes, exactly. So, and I think they were very, um, they didn't want to push me too much. They were filling out the waters, same as I, then I went over her family's house and I had all these aunts and uncles who like just found out about me or knew about me And my grandmother just cried. Did she? She Cried and cried and cried. Like, she was so overwhelmed. So it was very overwhelming. And I think at 18, I wasn't ready for it at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. My biological grandmother was the nicest woman, the most warm woman I've ever met in my life. And I just felt horrible for her because she wanted to keep me. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like one of her biggest regrets. Mm. Were they Catholic? Yes. Now, it's funny with the Catholic. There's a lot that goes on there. She went to the priest when her daughter was pregnant, when my mom was pregnant. And she asked him, is this the right thing to do? I don't know what to do. Please tell me what to do. She's Mm -hmm. pregnant at the same time. She's in distress. She's very emotional. Like I said, she's a mother of 10 children. Like she's just hurt. Full, warm, loving woman. And the priest said, You have to do this. There is no option. There's no option. You don't have the money. You can't do it. You're pregnant yourself. You would be doing this child, you know, like basically like I would be a sin if she raised me. So she allowed the adoption to go through. Well, I wouldn't even say that. My birth mom, when she went to go sign the papers with the attorney at Catholic Family Services, my grandmother was not allowed in the room and she was only 15 years old. Wow. So my grandmother, she passed away a couple of years ago, right after, mm-hmm. right during COVID, actually. And before that, thank God, she, one of my aunts called me up and said, My mom really would like to speak to you. This was right before she got sick. So I went over there and we had this beautiful conversation. And she says, You were always my biggest regret. And she said that I've always loved you and I never stepped, foot in the Catholic church again since that day. So yeah, she was Catholic, but after me, she never went back to church again. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm glad I had that closure with her. Yeah. So how do you feel
1: about Catholic charities and how they ran all that? (laughs) I mean, you know,
2: adoption, I went through this phase of being really angry, I guess, like a lot of us. But then as I started doing the more of the healing journey, you know, it's just ignorance. Yeah. I think what upsets me now is because now with the primal wound, all these studies, you know, you could say back in the seventies, they didn't understand it. you know, like I said, it was just ignorance to think that these babies and mothers would be, you know, torn apart from each other and everything was going to be okay is just not really practical. <laughs> like, it's, you yeah. know, I mean, Nancy, Verrier, hats off to her because she changed the adoption yeah. world validated us. She showed us a reason why we are the way we are. And, and I think from that point on is when healing really began for adoptees. So Catholic charities, the way I feel about them is it's, it's babies for sale. Yeah, They're just looking to make a profit because even now with all these new studies and scientific studies and what goes on in the baby's brain chemically and our bodies and the, and even the birth mothers, what goes on with them, they're still doing it. They're acknowledging it, but they still do it. Right. You know, it's just the only difference today is there's not as many adoptions because abortion is legal. Yeah.
1: I think there's more help out there for you single moms, too, now than there used to be. Oh, God. So many programs and things like that, too.
2: There's not enough, though. No. Yeah. No, there isn't. No, there's not. But it's definitely come a long way. Yeah, but I don't really feel that Catholic charities does enough because they still are in the business for making a profit.
1: Some of these private adoption agencies, I just nobody's overseeing them. There's no government organization or anyone that's seeing what they're doing. Right? It's crazy. They can do whatever they want, and like you said, it's like selling. I hate to say it's like selling an animal, but that's what it's like. Oh, it is. You know, you just put an ad out there, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's horrible.
2: I mean, but look, they won't even take kittens or puppies and stuff away from their moms. Until what eight weeks, eight to twelve weeks, or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, but babies they have no problem, no problem. Yeah. But I there's know. just no, there's not a lot of help for adoptees and birth mothers after the fact. I don't care if you had the best adoption in the world, yeah. And I'm just speaking for myself. I, I shouldn't say that, but even other adoptees that I speak to, and they are healthy and have, you know, great families they still, still suffer from certain things. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a very happy home and, and, you know, and that's okay, but there just has to be more, you know?
1: Yeah. I just can't believe that people after having your own children and knowing that connection right away, how they just kind of skip over that when it comes to adoption. Yeah. Yeah. This makes no sense. I know. So you said that your biological family kind of lived nearby. Did your parents know that? Like, did they know that you were adopted that close? No, not at all. Yeah. I was kind of the same way. In fact, they told my birth dad that I was in Texas, but we were like a few minutes away from (laughs) each other.
2: But yeah, they told him that. Geez, I could have like dated an uncle or something. They're like my age. Oh, Oh, I know. Really? They're only a couple towns over. Yeah, you know,
1: I had a I had a friend tell me she's like, "Did you ever notice that you and your boyfriend look alike?" And we've been oh, together yeah. for like twelve years, and I was like, "You don't say that to an adopted person." <laughs> <laughs> and my wheels are all turning. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, we're both Scottish and what?" Uh, you know, and then I start looking. I'm like, "We do look alike." I'm like freaking out. <laughs> you don't say that to us. So, how did you find out you were adopted?
2: Did you always know or? Yeah. Yes. I always know. My adoptive mother always told me she used to read those like little books. I think when I was little, um, you know, how you were chosen and your gift and, and things like that. So that was like another whole thing. So my adoptive parents, so this is another part where the Catholic church kind of comes in a little bit too. So my adopted mother was a nun before she got married for six years.
0: Mm.
2: who I believe was emotionally abused for a long time. They were very abused, the nuns. They weren't allowed to speak. They weren't, I mean, it it was awful. That's a whole nother story. She gets married to my father, who is very, uh, completely opposite. You know, like drinker, fun guy. He was like the bad boy, that type of person. She was only 17 when she went in the convent. So she was there like six years She marries my father very soon after that. So it was like she was still 17 at the time. Yeah. Like she never emotionally matured. She had, I don't know, quite a few miscarriages. And eventually they had given her a hysterectomy. Mm. She was not in a happy marriage at all. And a baby would have fixed her marriage. So they decided to adopt. Now, that's where I kind of like you come in and... Now you have this baby, now I was in foster care for four months, so then I get taken away from foster care, go to my family, and then this baby is supposed to do a job Mm. that is unrealistic. Yeah. This child that doesn't biologically fit in, yet has a job that is unrealistic. Yeah. And they didn't stay married, they divorced when I was about eight. Okay. So... I was always like a really good little girl when I was little. <laughs> I, I should repeat when I was little. <laughs> but I do remember like as a child now, I knew something was different about me. I mean, I always knew I was adopted, but I never really thought much about it. But I always was like a very overthinker. I knew so- I was a dreamer. I always got in trouble in school for being a daydreamer. And I, I was always like alone. I always felt really alone. But my father, I had more of a connection with than my mother. Mm. My father, even though he, like, he drank a lot, he was the fun one. He did things with me. He played softball with me in the yard. He took me to the bars after his baseball games, you know. <laughs> but he he did. <laughs> but I did have this, I don't know, I had more of a connection with him than my mom. I fell. Mm-hmm. And when she divorced my father and she was very kind and loving. Don't get me wrong. She was very loving woman, but I don't think she really knew what to do as a mother. Mm. You know, you remember she was like, she was not emotionally mature yet. She's in a marriage that she's not happy with. Yeah. She didn't know how to be. So now she has a child that she thought was going to fix her marriage and it's not. Right. And so she left, she left my father. And I went with my dad. Okay. That was going to be my question. Who'd you go with? Yes. I went with my father and, um, did they give you that choice? They did. All right. So my dad, I I had this, aunt who's my father's sister and she had two daughters. One was a year older than me. One was my age, a little bit older and they were like my sisters. I spent every weekend there. My aunt was much younger than my father. Thank God for her because she like saved me. Like she was just non judgmental, loving, like fun. She was, she was great. My dad went to live with her to get his feet on the ground after the divorce. He was a mess. He did -hmm. not want the divorce. He was in love with my mother. Now his drinking takes off a lot and he was just a complete disaster. And my aunt took me and him. My mother was dating a younger man and she, so she left my father for him. And I think in that, situation is where my life turned because like I was a good girl I just want to be with my cousins I always remember feeling alone oh and another I'm sorry if I'm jumping around a little bit no, you're fine a lot that happened they were I remember feeling very alone and before they got divorced Sacred Heart that's where my mother was another Catholic um, church they were supposed to adopt a little boy from Brazil named Marcello And he was older. He was, I think, eight or nine or something like that Mm -hmm. then. And we had a picture. We had the room set up. We had everything done. I was so excited. I was getting this brother because I was little. And I think the week he was supposed to come home, the adoption fell through. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And it was something with the Catholic Church and... The person that they hired to be the liaison didn't get the paperwork in order. So they, they were never able because of the visas because it was out of the country. Mm-hmm. But I guess that was probably good for him because they got divorced shortly thereafter. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So those couple of years were rough. They both ended up remarrying. And my father, so I felt a connection to him when I was a kid. He remarried and moved in with my stepmother, who had three daughters, who I only met once or twice. And he moved me in there. How's that? And that was a disaster. Mm -hmm. Now I'm 10, you know, 10, 11, 12. Those were the years I stayed there. And that is when things really got bad for me. I started acting out. I started lying. I started, and I always just wanted my father's attention. Always. And I never got it. And, you know, I had these three stepsisters, a stepmother, and I didn't understand what was going on with me at the time. I just didn't feel good enough. I didn't fit in. They were a little more... High of a standard. She had very high standards. Her youngest daughter was only like two when I moved there. And she was like my little doll. I used to hug her and kiss her and like want to play with her. Because I was a very like, I don't know, very like affectionate child. And that stopped when I moved there. Because she would always say, oh, you're going to give her germs. You're going to get her sick. I was not Um, allowed to hug or kiss her. I was not allowed. Yeah, it was very cold. Very cold. And... I was very unhappy, although she did, she taught me a lot of family traditions. So there's some good, everybody that was parenting me in my life. I just come from so much trauma on every angle. You know, you have unhealed trauma, that's what's going to happen. So for me, I feel like being adopted was first trauma. The divorce is another one. Then it just kept happening over and over in my life. Yeah. So then I go back to my aunt. Because I, they just thought I was so unhappy and I just wanted to be with my aunt. Then mm-hmm. my mother calls me up and she gets remarried and she calls me up on the phone. Hey, guess what? I just got married. I'm like, okay. Oh, gosh. Did she want you to come live with them? So I was about 12 and my aunt felt at that time I probably needed a mother, you know, because mm-hmm. now I'm starting to run away. Not too much trouble, but getting in trouble, you know, enough to be worried. And how old were you? 12. Yeah. So I go live with my mom and my stepfather. Did you feel abandoned by your aunt too? Like No, no, because she never told me I, I had to go. Okay. You know, like my aunt would never do that. Even if it got hard mm-hmm. for her, she wouldn't. She yeah. she's just that person. But I felt like, okay, yeah, I should probably be with my mother, you know? Um, so they felt that my mother at the time had strained her life out where she got married. She bought a house. So now maybe this was time for me to really have my mother in my life. That's what everybody thought I was missing. Yeah. And I got even worse when I got there. Mm. I mean, I was running away left and right, breaking every rule you could imagine. Curfews, never listened, never had a curfew, never listened to them. And it just continued partying and like, it was bad.
1: Yeah.
2: And they would take me to therapist after counseling and I would just sit there and it's funny because not one therapist I don't remember ever brought up the fact that, hey, maybe she has an abandonment issue. They don't ask that question. Maybe because she was adopted. And, like, I didn't know about this trauma. Like, none of this, I had no idea. But I knew something was very, I was detaching more and more and more as I got older.
1: Did you realize that at the time? No. You, no.
2: Yeah. yeah. I okay. didn't realize yeah. it until later. Yeah. But going from this sweet, loving child. I felt that I just constantly was seeking approval. I think I was just looking for attention. And then at that point I was so rebellious that mm-hmm. I didn't want to hear. I just detached so much and just yes. self-sabotage, you know, and then they turned around and put me in a group home when I was 13 for little bad girls and boys, you know?
1: Wow. Yes. Wow, that wasn't through the Catholic Church, was
2: it? No, no, I don't think was, they have anything no, like that. No, they didn't have anything like that. It was like they pretty much put everybody in the same thing. They had like um, one floor with drug addiction, one floor for like teens with mental health. Which I was never on medication. I didn't have that mental health issues mm-hmm. like depression or suicide. I didn't. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I was just out of control. Yeah, you so know. How long were you there? Um, I want to say about. It's funny. I I went there for like three months and I completely just played the good girl, did what I had to do there. I came home and did the exact same thing. And probably two weeks later, they put me back
1: mm.
2: for nine months. Oh my gosh. Around nine months. So I would say nine months to week. I don't completely remember the exact dates. I remember it was the summertime and then went home after that. Were you able to go to
1: school in there or did they? Do- yeah, they had school there. They had school yes. there. So you couldn't go to your regular school. Right, right. Oh, no, you were. You lost all your friends. Yes. Lost your family pretty much. Yeah, And you're there by yourself. That's a long time. Yeah, 13. Nine months. Yeah. That's a long time. When you got out,
2: then what happened? Did you go back to your mom's or? I did. I went back to my mom's. I still like pretty much got in trouble, but I was more like, I didn't have as many rules. I was starting to get older, you know, in my teens you know, you're going on 14, 15, 16. I started driving. I went and got a job. I always worked. But I was still self-sabotaging. a mm. pot every day. I was just partying. All I cared about was that. Like, just my friends. Yeah. I came from this neighborhood that was actually, it was kind of awesome, even though it was messed up. Her neighborhood, we had this very tight-knit community in New Haven. It was very... I would say Italian oriented, you know, where like we were out until the streetlights came on, that type of thing. We had keg parties on the beach and, but it was just like this really, really tight community. And I belonged. Mm. I was part of something. Yeah. you know? And it was great. You know, it was really great. And when I went away and I came back and so I you know, I did. I lost all my friends, but I came back and right back to them. Oh, okay.
1: mm-hmm. good.
2: So I just got smarter, I think, as I got older with what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I ended up quitting high school and then working full time. I always wanted to grow up faster than what I was. Mm-hmm. Always. I did go back and get my education. But then I was 17 at graduation. Would I would have graduated high school because I was a November baby. And I ended up kind of waking up one day and I was like, you know, My life was just a disaster. Mm. I was working, don't get me wrong, but it was just not, I was a mess. And I said, you know something? I am not going to live this way anymore. And I completely did a 360. I moved out of my mother's house. I got my own apartment. I stopped the partying. I mean, I still hung out with friends and stuff like that, but I changed all my friends. I put myself back through school. And how old were you?
1: 18. Okay. And there wasn't one thing that happens
2: that kind of. No, my life was a a disaster. I would have ended up on the street. I would have, everybody had had it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the drugs and stuff that would have really, it would have got me, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? mean, It definitely got me if I didn't smarten up. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a short time in my life. So it's not like, Oh my God, I was, you know, but I, I I think I would have ended up really bad if I didn't like I said I just self-sabotaged so yeah it was I don't know what whatever you want to call it but I, I did and I went and I just started working on myself but I got obsessed with proving that I was good mm-hmm. constantly like so I had my own place I bought my own condo by the time I was like 20. Wow. I was a paralegal at the time and I ended up working up that ladder and it's funny when I met my biological mother that's what she did. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> So when I met her and stuff, I was doing very well, but I constantly felt because I think I messed up and I was so ashamed of my life and I was so ashamed of being in this home. I pretended it never happened and I just was obsessed with success, mm-hmm. which is not a, a, a bad thing, right? But at the same time, you're still suppressing. Yeah. Just with something better. I'm still running, you know, and, and I'm still like dying from my father's approval acceptance constantly constantly so so anyway he passed away when he was like 64 of cancer but he, they they both stayed with my stepmother and my stepfather the whole time so he still had like his own life with her and her and her daughters and yeah. he still saw me and i knew he loved me and all those things but i never felt like he was proud of me i always felt like i was the one that was a disappointment so so that's kind of how my life went. When you were saying that, I, I was just picturing myself because
1: I always felt like I wanted to be chosen. I wanted someone to choose me. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't feel chosen. So it didn't matter if it was a bad thing or a good thing. I just, if you chose me, then I was all in, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, you wanted that. You wanted to be chosen by your dad, you know, like you wanted to feel that. Anybody. That. <laughs>
2: Connection. Yeah, exactly. I remember like having these little like fantasies. It was like Cinderella or like, and I said, God, I had so much pain my whole life. Somebody's going to sweep me off my feet. Someone, you know, like I just used to have like these little, little, like I said, I was always a little dreamer. I got married young. I was 24. I'm still married, 27 years now. <laughs> oh, wow. Good. Good for you. <laughs> That's pretty awesome for an adoptee. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I think it was it was through my marriage where I started coming out of the fog. So what catapulted that? Anything in particular? Uh, you know, it came in increments, very small doses. I hadn't read the primal wound yet. He had a daughter before we got married. So I was 24 when we got married. We were 21 when we were dating. We moved in together. We had full custody of his daughter, who was three at the time. Mm-hmm. So her mother wasn't in her life. So I'm thinking like, okay, I am like the savior because I know all about this. Right. But at 21, 22, you kind of don't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you think, you, you, think do. you do. Well, I did have maybe a heads up on other people, right. but yeah, I didn't know what I was in for. <laughs> what happened was, I mean, she's wonderful. Her and I are like really, really close today, but there were a lot of triggers yeah, and a lot of rejection on her part. Mm that I didn't know how to handle. It was like looking in the mirror. Oh
1: boy. Yeah. I saw her sometimes. Mm -hmm.
2: So that was like my first little dose of it. Now my biological parents came to my wedding. Okay. And I really pushed them away a lot, a lot, and which was unfair to her, but I wasn't, I felt like, okay, I found out what I needed to know and kind of that was it. We would write letters back and forth. She also had a very strong personality and without knowing it, she would sometimes say she was a little too much. Mm -hmm. She was loving, accepting. They were very accepting, wanted me in their life, but I didn't know how to handle even how to handle that relationship at that point. Yeah. I invite them to my wedding. I have my brother in my wedding and something must've happened, which to this day, I really still don't know, which I have to ask her. My adoptive father must've, I don't think treated them very well at my wedding. He, he was the one that didn't want me to find them at the time. And he definitely had some jealousy issues there with that. And me, I always wanted to be the people pleaser. I wanted to kind of take care of everybody. So I made sure my father was like the hero at the wedding. Yet I still took pictures with them and had their son in the wedding. Like, but I guess none of it was really good enough on either parts. But we stopped talking for a couple of years.
1: With your biological family.
2: biological parents. Yes. Wow. I really never knew what happened though. They must've been insulted. I don't really know. I still don't really know. Yeah. Then I have, I get pregnant and I had an ectopic pregnancy Mm. and then I started getting curious, you know, and then I had my son, my first son, I have two boys. My oldest son is 24. And that is when things really started to change. That is when I felt the first biological connection. I'm sure like all of us, And it was the most beautiful, loving thing in the world, but at the same time, the most painful because I was like, this is what I missed my entire life. Yeah. Like, how could I miss this my entire life? I was blown away. So I was so happy. I had this connection. I had this feeling inside of me and it was so overwhelming. But at the same time, the sense of loss was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And you can't get that back. I mean, you can't
1: recreate that. Like you were just saying, you had no emotion when you met them. You cannot recreate that bond that was broken back then. I mean, I can't say never. I'm sure there are some people that have met their biological family and it just was a big emotional and happy time. But I think for most, you just can't recreate that that bond
2: that you had from birth. No, but then it's funny because I have it now with them. Really? Yes. So that's a whole, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know enough back then to do the work on myself. I didn't really get it. I detached myself. Like, I always felt something towards her. Mm -hmm. There was similarities. Another thing was, like, when I was little, I I never connected with my name, Barbara Jean, and hated it. And I literally would, every single doll in my room was named Christina. I was in a school play. I made sure my name was Christina. I don't know. I was obsessed with this name. I pretended my name was Christina. Played house with my cousins. My name was Christina. But that's what she named me. Oh my gosh. That's so my birth certificate, which I just actually got this past year. So when I found out, so like little things like that, you know, I had these feelings. So anyway, I have my first son. So I start coming out of this fog a little bit. I start reading a little bit more. I'm starting to dig a little bit more. Still not really knowing how strong like certain feelings were. Like I still was mm-hmm. very closed, you know, then I started visiting. She wrote a letter. We started visiting, we started getting reconnecting again. Now I have a son, then I have another son. Mm-hmm. So now it's okay. Now she has grandchildren. And so little by little, I started allowing her back in my life and I started opening those doors. And I started getting mm-hmm. curious. It just happened in all these increments like little things in my life would happen, like giving birth. Then my husband would be like, You know, I, I don't understand. Why are you, am I not good enough for you? Why are you so closed off? But yet, He's like you're the most loyal, loving person. You see the good in everybody, but at the same time, I didn't have these. I I, I couldn't have these feelings.
1: Yeah.
2: What's it called? Um, I was the anxious attachment style, but I also was the, the dis- disassociated, disorganized. Yes, I'm disorganized. I'm yeah, yeah. So I'm either mm-hmm. one or the other. I'm I'm both. But I started like saying, okay, I want better. Yeah. You know, and I want to feel better and. It was, I I always just felt misunderstood, you know, whether it was my marriage or family members, I I just felt misunderstood. And then I just started digging Mm -hmm. more and that that Primal Wound book came out and that was it for me. Once I read that, I was like, it hit everything. It hit every point. It hit everything. And my whole world changed. How old were you when you read that book? Mm. Oh God, I was in my forties. So I'm 51. I was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. Like I said, little by little, things were coming out. I was starting to let my biological mother in. I was starting to get to know her. Then I started getting to know my aunts and uncles. I started visiting, which I would never really, not up the street, but a few times over. Yeah. I would never even, like, really visit them. Mm-hmm. I started going to family parties, you know, stuff like that. And I started feeling connections, which I never allowed myself to feel. Yeah. And I started getting curious and going on these, like I started being mindful. I started getting aware. I started doing yoga. I started meditation. That's where it all started happening. Then I started asking questions. Then I start going to lunch, like with my aunts, my biological aunts. But then sadness would come over again because I would go to these family parties. Now my husband is the youngest of seven. He's born in Italy came here when he was young. He's the youngest. He's the baby. They all spoil him. He has this huge loving <laughs> family. We have these, I have these nieces and nephews and it's wonderful. It really is. We have a really fun, it's, it's great family. Yeah. But he always got that attention. He was the baby and nothing was ever good enough for him. So I go into this family party of all these aunts and uncles and I go in with my husband and all the uncles are like surrounding me and talking to me and like, They're like sticking up for me. My husband was like bothering me, teasing me, you know, and they're like, oh, don't you mess with her? You know, something like that. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like, oh, my God, I had somebody sticking up for me like I was a part of, you know, and then it was wonderful that I had this huge extended family. But then at the same time on the way home, I remember just crying. saying, Oh, my God, I could have had them. I I could have had them. And they wanted me, you know. Did they know about you? I mean, did they know? Only half of them. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Remember, I said, so yeah, half of them did, yeah. half of them didn't. Wow. But they were all teenagers. So,
1: how did that relationship grow then with your biological parents to where it is
2: now? I, you know, I just started visiting them more. I think because I started opening my heart, I started being honest and being authentic. I never was authentic. Yeah. I was a chameleon. I was trying to be a part of, I was trying to fit in here and there and everywhere. I was trying to be successful. I wanted to be the best mother, the best wife, you know, like a perfectionist. And I, and, but I didn't know who I was at all. Right. Like I'm still learning. I'm still on that journey. And I think the writing, that's when I started writing the book. And I remember my older son said to me, I was in not a good place. I started writing this book and. I was think I was being like really negative and I was like living in the past, you know, which I think I tend to do, or I know a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. And my son turned around, he's like so positive, And he's like, mom, do you want this chapter? Is this how you want your chapter to end? Oh, wow. And that turned me around. Yeah. You know, so it was just changing my attitude and, trying not to live in the past and having that radical acceptance, like, listen, this is what happened to me. Instead of being ashamed of it, you know, I think we're all born into this guilt and shame and it's overwhelming, you know? And then if it keeps happening over and over again, like, like my story. Yeah. It's like engraved in, in, in your body and in your soul, you know? And it, it's like, you have to do a lot of work to heal from that. Yeah. So are both your biological parents still around? Yes, they are.
1: Are your adoptive parents alive still?
2: My adoptive mother is and my father passed away. You said your father died at sixty something, yeah. So how
1: are the relationship with all of them? Your adoptive mom's okay with you being close with your biological
2: she is. That's still we've done a lot of mending, but yet I know she loves me and she's always striving to like reach out, but there's still always like these little trust things there, you know, that I still work on.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I've definitely forgiven, you know, but am I completely free of it? No, but I'm working, on it. I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, right. And so, how's your relationship with your biological parents? That's also, you know, something I probably have gotten the closest to her in the past two or three years. It's almost like she's like the best friend I never had. My biological father is an introvert, he, he's a great guy, he doesn't let you know his feelings. Mm-hmm. But when he does talk, it's of importance, you know, but he's, he's a very deep type of guy. His parents, on the other hand, they both passed away, but I didn't meet them years ago. And unfortunately I was not where I am now, mm-hmm. but they were very ashamed. So they were not mm-hmm. as friendly and outgoing as her family was.
1: They were ashamed of the pregnancy or they were
2: ashamed how they reacted to the pregnancy. You think? I think both, both. Yeah. Cause they weren't kind to her. You know, when she gave birth, um, little did they know it was going to be their, their daughter-in-law <laughs> later on. Right. And later on, they accepted her and loved her. But, yeah. you know, who who would have thought that she would stick around all those years? Right. That is crazy.
1: So do you think you can heal from the primal wound?
2: I do. Or do you think it's something that we just have to handle? No, I, I I do. I think you can. But I don't think it's you're healed and done with it. I think it's an ongoing healing process because I feel like for me, I could, everything's great, right? Until it's not, there's always a trigger Mm
0: -hmm. because
2: your subconscious mind stores that. So I do think you could like reprogram that, but it's like that, that picture, that Polaroid picture that's stuck in that subconscious mind that's ingrained in you from the day you're taken away. Mm
1: -hmm. That
2: will always be there. However. We don't have to live in the past. I mean, I am healing from it, but I don't think yeah. it's a one and done thing. I don't think it's like, right. Hey, I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to like get all this shit out. And then like, that's it. Like, yeah, I think it's an ongoing process and there's always going to be a trigger. Yeah. I think it's how you handle the trigger. Yep. <laughs> and it's being aware. See, I was never aware of these triggers for me. It's yeah. stored. That's why I love yoga. It stores in my body. Like, mm-hmm So I release, you know, people think yoga is exercise for me. It's a practice, you know, and that has been pretty much this past year, two years, what's helped me the most. I'm able to be centered and grounded, but it's making me aware of my triggers. Yeah. You know, where I could feel whole. And I think what bothers me, like on these Facebook uh, group pages that I'm sport groups, I think they're a great safe space for adoptees. And I think the antidote to all this healing is connection. Mm -hmm. You have to have connection. I don't think even my husband, who knows me better than anybody, does not understand me like adoptees. Yeah. I still feel misunderstood. My kids don't understand it because they don't. And I can't expect them to because they never went through it. Yeah. You know, they didn't go
1: through it. The connection and the validation, I think, are two huge things. And just kind of accepting everybody where they're at and just being okay with it and not reacting to those
2: triggers. I'm looking at these groups, though, and sometimes, and then I try to, I'm not being judgmental. I just think sometimes it's sad because there's so many posts on there that are sad and angry and lost. And see, one thing I always knew was like, As lost and angry and hurt as I was, I always knew I had some sort of purpose. Mm -hmm. Inside, I felt it. Yeah, yeah. I felt it. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And I still might not really know. But one thing I do know, if I could help one other adoptee, that is, like, so fulfilling, a part of my purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't have to be angry. But it takes work. Like, you really got to do the work to get there.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of adoptees feel like if they let go of the pain, that they're saying it was okay and everything's forgiven and forgotten, but that's not what that
2: means. I know. Yeah. No. My birth mother sometimes triggers me like she, uh, I forgot what it was. I was talking to her. I was, I just, actually, she just had a visit here not too long ago. My brother has a daughter who my niece, she's just adorable. She's, she's 18 now, but she was talking about her going to college and, um, you know, all these different things. And yes, it was a happy moment. And I forgot exactly what she said, but it triggered me. It made me feel bad. I'm like, Oh God, but she wasn't there like for my kids like that, or, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. just that little part of me, like, so those little triggers are always going to be there. Yeah. You know, it's just how I choose to handle them. Right. So what do you feel about family preservation? So adoption, I believe is if it was my way, I wouldn't have any adoption, but it's necessary because there are, everybody's story is different, right? So mm-hmm. there are children in TCF who need homes, right? They have parents that are incapable, whether are yeah. neglected, abused, drug, drug addiction, whatever. So adoption, I believe, are for children who need homes, not for families who need babies, like, you know, that saying.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I feel that if we're going to spend money, whoever, the government, whoever, on anything. It should be on family preservation. for like these, instead of taking these birth mothers, maybe give them hope, maybe give them something like the birth mothers who are in poverty or who are abused, the tools, the resources out there. I I mean, I definitely believe in family preservation first. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work out, adoption is a last resort. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think we can do more as, as Americans. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, like I said,
1: that there needs to be some kind of regulating body over all of this.
2: And and that's what gets me, I think, frustrated because there isn't. And there's still adoption agencies that are still doing the same thing. And they're still out there. These private adoption agencies, attorneys, they're making so much money. Yeah. And then they're still tricking these birth mothers into thinking, I mean, these, these women are in distress. Yeah. Taking them at their most vulnerable point. And instead of giving them, you know, I don't know, give them more time to make a decision, give them resources, whether it's jobs, childcare, housing, give them more resources. And then if maybe it doesn't work and they can't handle a child, that's different. But, right. you know, they're going through all kinds of distress.
1: And even if they still want to go through with the adoption, I think there needs to be ongoing counseling services oh my and God. for the adoptee and the adoptive parents.
2: And, and that should be, the end. I think that should be a law. It should be mandatory yeah. Remember that money needs to go. to It that. should be mandatory. Yeah. And I also believe that they should outlaw closed adoptions. If there's adoptions and your birth mother giving your baby away for adoption, know that it should be an open adoption. I think they all should be open that we have rights as children, as hum- we're human beings. Yeah. And we have those rights to know whatever we want. And if we don't choose to find out, then that's our choice. But at least we have the choice. Mm -hmm. So I think closed adoption should be completely, that's it. That is in the past old school, you know, rid of it completely. So you talked a little bit about
1: how you have been dealing with your adoption trauma with yoga and things, anything else that's
2: helped you that maybe you can tell anyone else that's out there struggling? No, I think it was just having faith. God, my whole life, I always just felt like, you know, a lot of adoptees, They feel like, why am I here? Nobody wants me, not chosen, all this stuff. And it's like, you know, now that I've reached a certain point in my life, I know that the universe has put me here for a reason. And that's what I want. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a right to be here. So many adoptees just feel like they shouldn't be here. They're not wanted. They're so depressed. But you are. You know what I mean? You have a a right to be here and you're supposed to be here. Yeah. You were put here here with a person. So whatever your faith is you know, whether it's the universe, whether it's God, whatever it's, it's out there and, and you're supposed to be here, you know? I think we keep, like you
1: were saying, you know, Cinderella and, you know, a lot of times we look outside of ourselves for that hero, but that hero is us.
2: Yeah. And. (laughs) Can be your own. hero. Adoptees are, I feel the most smartest, most amazing people. We're so intuitive. Yeah. And. If we could only see that goodness within ourselves and do a lot of like me, I, I have to practice self-care, you know. I use affirmations a lot, you know, because my brain wants to tell me I'm not wanted and I'm not good enough and um I'm unlovable. And so you have to do that self-love and self-care. Give yourself a hug, yeah. even if it feels weird, you know.
1: Yeah. But doing that work, like you were
2: saying, doing the work
1: and feeling that power that's within you to to do whatever you want to do, stand in your own power and just feel that is amazing. And the more you feel
2: that, the more you want to feel that.
1: Oh yeah. To
2: start, you just have to start though. You have, you have to, start. to start. And it's, and it's start. like, you just take some practice and it doesn't have to be huge. It could be yeah. 10 minutes a day, but you know, but you got to start little baby steps somewhere. And I think it's like, it's hard. Listen, don't get me wrong. Some days I want to crawl up in a ball in a fetal position. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like I am so not like Mrs you know, (laughs) faith and everything else. Although, you know, so my everyday life is, but I I do practice it every day. And some days are great and some days are not. Mm -hmm. But on those not so great days, I know that it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's temporary. I think before when I was younger in my twenties and stuff, I didn't know if I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know if I was going to be okay. You know, I was married, had children and all this stuff. And, And I always depended on being okay with other people, whether it was my husband, his family, you know, if they were okay, I was okay. You know, if I was a great mom, if my kids were okay, I was okay. No, I have to be okay with me and Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, but like I said, it takes work and practice and you, and you can't be afraid to work.
1: Right. Anything else you'd like to tell struggling adoptees or anything that you would want them to know?
2: I don't think so. Just, you know, have some hope and That they're not alone and they're meant to be here like i said but i would like to say if there's any adoptive parents out there so adoptive parents before you make the decision to adopt i hope you really do i hope they really do the work on themselves first Mm -hmm. before they choose to do that and i hope they make a commitment to allow these adoptees babies to grieve and it's not about them it's about these children and if you're not taking a child out of foster care or DCF who needs a home and you just want to adopt an infant baby, I want them to ask themselves why. Yeah. Why? Because you're not doing it for that baby. You're doing it for yourself. Yeah. The baby's not going to f- fulfill yourself. Yeah. And that's tough to look
1: at. The baby's not going to fulfill it. Like you said, you were you were given a job at,
2: you know, right. a few months old. So. The adoptive parents, I, you know, I really, really hope, and I'm not trying to say this against, so I don't want to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings, but it's the truth. You know, you got, it's saying the truth and the truth is hard, right? So you want a baby, just, just ask yourself why, mm-hmm. and are you ready to take on that battle? Yeah. yeah and listen you know? to
1: some adoptee podcasts and get educated, read the Primal Wound the before book. you, yeah. you know, do that. Um, Beth cyberverson she has unraveling adoptees podcast, and she's an adoptive parent that struggles with her son and you know he has addictions and he's you know tried to complete suicide and she's trying to educate adoptive parents. So you know, if you want to I can yeah, yeah. look her up if you know you're an adoptive parent, um just get educated before and and yeah. ask the question too, but get educated Cause, as well.
2: yeah, because you could do a lot more damage to these adoptees that already are born with this, this relinquishment. I don't know if a lot of adoptees know what is possible or what what could happen,
1: you know, adopting a child that's got adoption trauma. They can, they've got a lot of stuff to look at. It's not necessarily all roses, you know, Um, the trauma is real.
2: (laughs) The trauma is real. And like I said, like, you know, my, my adoptive parents and all the things that I've gone through, you know, to adoptees, I don't blame them. Like I love my adoptive mother Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and my father. I don't they didn't know any better yeah they just simply no one knew any everybody
1: had their narrative adoptive parents were you're helping a child you know that needs a home and all that stuff so they felt good and then their mother was told you did the right thing you gave your child a better life now now go home and pretend it never happened we have our narrative because that's what they that's what society put in their head
2: oh you did a beautiful thing you gave a baby
1: Yeah, everybody had a, had a narrative or a part to play in the, in the play. And just so that this, that people can make money, keep making money off of it. Yeah, it's crazy. So So you are in the middle of writing a book. Yes. Tell us Uh, about that.
2: It's been, like I said, very, it's been healing. And I think I'm just becoming more and more aware. Um, I'm not the best a writer, like I said. So I did have somebody help me. She's just helping me put it into a story. You know, I, I have all Uh the content and I write and write, and then she just kind of cleans it up for me.
0: (laughs) So she's doing a really wonderful
2: job. And she also happens to be an adoptee, which helps because I did have somebody Mm. else helping me at the time. And, um, as nice as it was, it felt like an essay, you know, like she couldn't understand me. She didn't get it. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I'm working on. And I'm very, very, um, excited about it. And I just hope, like I said, I have some purpose. And even if it helps one or two people that then I did my job and then maybe yeah. my kids will have it for their kids one day. And, um, yeah. And hopefully just spread awareness, right? The more we tell our stories, the more awareness. So yeah. I'm hoping to get that. Gotta educate the world.
1: Yeah. It's time. So that it
2: should be We're actually the it. book is pretty much, it's almost done. It's getting there. It's fine tuning, picking out covers and editing and, all that stuff. So the title is going to be. I, hopefully, I I changed it a couple of times already. I believe it's going to be "Not Chosen." Mm, good title. Good title. Yeah. So yes, I'll, I'll give you a yes, I'll, I'll you, Yes, I'll send you a copy when it's done. <laughs> yeah,
1: I always like to get signed copies of books when I have people on, and then yeah, definitely let us know, and I will get the word out when it comes out. Thank you so much, Barbara
2: Jean, for coming on the show today. No, thank you for doing this. I mean, I think this is an incredible thing that you're doing. Thank you. Your podcast. I mean, you know, I think it's healing for everybody, for everybody to hear each other's stories. So, and, and we all just need to be validated. Yeah.
0: That's the purpose. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Another great adoptee story. Another story that is helping educate the world. And I love that Barbara Jean is into educating adoptive parents and educating them on just what they might be getting into when they adopt and how to help that child work through their trauma and to allow that child to speak about their adoption and their feelings. And it is important as a potential adoptive parent to ask the question, why? Why are you adopting? And to ask that question before you go and slap a band-aid on whatever issues that you may be having that are pointing you in the direction of adopting to address those first. And if you still decide to adopt, to just remember that the family that you are wanting to create with this child, this child is coming from loss, the loss of the birth mother and child bond. There are so many resources out there now for adoptive parents, for you to explore what adoption really is. I mentioned Beth Syverson and she is now a coach. She is a podcaster of the Unraveling Adoption Podcast. And if you are struggling, if you have questions, reach out to Beth and her link is in the show notes. She also has adoptive parent only groups, so please check her out if you are thinking about adopting or even struggling as an adoptive parent. She is a great resource. Thank you, Barbara Jean, for bringing up such important issues today on the podcast. If you are thinking about coming on the podcast, I am on Instagram and Facebook. You can DM me there. I have a website, mindyourownkarma.com and an email, mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. So get in touch with me and let's get your story on the podcast. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.